0: It's hard to say whether Michael Rubin was born to run a business, but he sure didn't waste time getting to it. At age 10, he led a small snow shoveling operation. By 18, he owned five ski shops. A couple of decades later, Rubin sold an e-commerce company to eBay for $2.4 billion. Now Rubin is part owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and CEO of Kinetic, a holding company that boasts the sports merchandise business Fanatics, the e-commerce site Rulala, and the delivery service ShopRunner. He's here to tell us why some companies thrive as others fail and how to tell the difference. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest today, Michael Rubin, chairman of Fanatics and part owner of the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia 76ers. Michael, great to see you. Thanks for having me. So I want to start off by talking to you about um, your businesses and Kinetics, which owns Fanatics, Rue La La, and some other companies as well, and ask you what's going on with the American consumer. How's business going for you right now?
1: Business is really strong. Now, we're in the e-commerce business, and certainly within retail, all of the growth in retail is coming from e-commerce, but our business has been very strong. We're having our record holiday in uh,
0: each of our companies, and um, I think overall, I'm very bullish on the consumer. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about the American consumer being the last man standing here, and so you're still seeing strength going forward. No weakness.
1: Yeah, our business has
0: been really strong across the board. Fanatics is our biggest
1: business. Uh, we've had, uh, we had, um, you know, the, um, holiday season which really starts with kind of what you call this kind of the thanksgiving cyber uh, weekend uh, we were up over 20 percent on a comp basis um really happy with those results uh on guilt has been really strong shopping has been strong as well so all of our companies have been great and i'm not seeing any signs other than positive uh vibes
0: from the uh, american consumer and so how does your uh, holding company work in the organization? How do the companies get knit together?
1: They're actually really not knit together at
0: all. So one of the things
1: that, that, that I learned in my old company, GSI Commerce, that eBay bought in 2011 was, um, you know, we did a lot of things right, but we also did a lot of things wrong at that company. And so I've really learned focus is everything. So when I started uh, these businesses, uh, when I bought them back from eBay in 2011, we bought back Fanatics, Rue La La, and Shoprunner. We said we want to put all of our energy into those three companies, but we want to run them with um, separate cap tables, separate CEOs. We wanted people that woke up and went to bed every day, completely focused on how to make those businesses successful. And so there's really very little synergy between the businesses
0: other than, you know, me as a common owner. You know, it's interesting, Michael, because I always see people who have holding companies and there's this sort of tug of war. You let them be completely independent or you put them together. And so you are of of the school that you don't put them together. I mean, you have like servers or legal that's even or even nothing 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 now within fanatics Fanatics been a pretty
1: aggressive company when i bought the company back from ebay in 2011 it was 250 million dollars in revenue the previous year next year it'll be 3.2 billion dollars through that we've done several acquisitions we bought majestic the baseball uniform company to help us build our vertical apparel manufacturing capabilities we bought um, fans edge which was a a a pure play e-commerce company we bought sportsmem.com which is a, a big online collectibles company um, so will those businesses have tons of synergy because it's one company, but the thought of having the CEO of, um, fanatics who wakes up and goes to bed every day thinking about how to grow the licensed sports industry, um, worried about what to do with ru la, la and guilt that's in the fashion off price business, there's no synergy.
0: Right. Hey, let me ask you about Amazon, which you compete against. It's a small company in, little thing uh, up in yeah, Seattle the small company in Seattle. I've heard, a... I've heard of them old-headed guy runs that. See, he's in better shape than me, so I got nothing, <laughs> n- nothing <laughs> right, negative he sure to is. He's ripped these yeah. days, right? So, okay, is it too big? Should it be broken up? What should the government do about Amazon, Michael?
1: Yeah, look, I- I'm an entrepreneur.
0: I always believe in building companies. I think
1: what Amazon's built is amazing. Uh, the truth be told, and I say this, and people kind of look at me with seven heads when I say this, but if it wasn't for my belief on how successful Amazon was gonna be, Fanatics wouldn't be what it is today. So I looked, you know, Amazon was the company that I was obsessed with when I started my company, GSI Commerce in 1999, sold it to eBay in 2011. And, you know, our retailers competed with Amazon day in and day out. So we worked with companies like Ralph Lauren and Toys R Us and Estee Lauder and Burberry and Dick's Sporting Goods. And we helped them run most, if not all aspects of their e-commerce businesses. And they were, you know, they were competing, you know, head on with, with Amazon. So I looked at Amazon 15 years ago and said, they're taking over retail. I looked at Alibaba in China and said they're taking over retail. And so my belief was the only way to make, um, to be successful in e-commerce was to have complete differentiation. So when I built Fanatics, when we first bought it back in 2011, it was really like a Zappos of the licensed sports category. selling other people's merchandise without a tremendous amount of differentiation. We said, if we didn't change the business, we'd be dead, we wouldn't be here. And so we built a strategy to do um, several things. One was to basically build the largest, what we call V-commerce company in e-commerce, vertical commerce, where we design, develop, and sell directly to the consumer most of what we, we sell. And so that verticality gives um, a better assortment to the fan, and it also gives a better experience, and everyone you know um, benefits from it. And so that differentiation is what's made Fanatics so successful. So more than half of what we sell are our own products, and the half that we don't design, develop, manufacture ourselves. We have exclusivity where you don't find it in other pure play online marketplaces. So going back to Amazon, it's been my obsession and belief in how great of a company that they are that um, has really fueled Fanatic's success and differentiation from Amazon. To your original question, which I didn't answer, do I think it should be broken up? I don't. I believe in building great companies. You know, I've got huge respect for Amazon. I've got huge respect for Alibaba. And I think, um, you know, they give a great... um, they give a great experience to the consumer, and so I'm, I'm a fan of what they're doing. Um, you know, for me, it's also driven me to say, how do I differentiate myself? You can't buy a Tom Brady jersey or a, a Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons jersey at um, Amazon because that product is unique to Fanatics.
0: Do you ever talk to Bezos or Jack Ma?
1: Um, I've, I've met um, Jeff a few times, um, you know, ha- have had, a, had a nice conversations. We've actually talked more about social issues um, I was, you know, heavily involved in, you know, a really good friend of mine who went to prison for no reason, didn't commit a crime, went to, was sentenced to prison for two to four years, Meek Mill. Amazon did a, a big uh, documentary on him. So a lot of my conversations with Jeff have been about how to make the
0: world a better place, the country a better place, and, and uh, less focused on business. I want to talk to you about Meek a little bit later. What about um, SEO and Google? Isn't that how people find those products? I mean, they don't necessarily go to Fanatics, at least initially, until they've logged in, but to, like, they're looking for that Joel Embiid jersey, so they just type that in, right?
1: Yeah, so so today, um, not only do we own Fanatics, which is our largest individual website, but we also own, um, we operate the NFL shop, the NBA store, um, the NHL store, Major League Baseball store, we operate hundreds of individual team sites. So today, as a consumer, many people go directly to um, Fanatics, many people go directly to the league sites, many people go directly to the team sites. Also, lots of people go to Google, that drives probably 20% of our business, people will go and go to Google and search for a specific product. And in many cases, they end
0: up at one of our sites. Very interesting. And you mentioned China. So let me ask you, we have this trade war going on. Is that hurting you? How much do you source from China? It's a really small percentage of our business. Um, If you think about the sports business, there's so much change that happens every day.
1: And that's what makes our business so unique and so special. I walked in, you're talking about your team, the Redskins. And, you know, if the Redskins, you know, had a good run, you're going to be running when? to go. You're, you're going to be running to go buy products uh-huh. right away because you're excited to, to to represent that team. And so, when you look at our business, players that do great things, they break out. Pre- players that get injured, they you know they become irrelevant from a sales perspective. Teams you know become hot and cold. And so, our whole business is about having exactly what the fan wants, exactly when they want it, in every color, size, any way you can imagine. And so. Sourcing for that merchandise is generally much closer to where it's being sold. And so um
0: China's a pretty small part of our business. I think it's only about three percent of what we source today. You're a sports freak. What do you what do you like about sports? I mean you're involved, you're a team owner. You're selling the merchandise. Yeah, there's. Uh, you, you learn from both parts, and they inform I, each other, right? I, I do. I mean, look. The
1: first thing I tell you is, you know, I grew up a huge Sixers fan, and it's, I'm really fortunate to be. Who were your uh, teams
0: when you were growing up? Like um, Sixers and Eagles. Like what? And what era was that? Like, so what were the um, players?
1: I, I'd say, uh, Todd McGraw, Mike Schmidt from the mm-hmm. Phillies, Randall Cunningham. You know, Julius Ervin from mm-hmm. the Sixers. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, and I, yeah, those, but I was a, I was a, I was a good sports fan. Not a great sports fan as a kid. I didn't grow up in a sports household. Um, but I certainly, you know, was definitely a fan of the Philadelphia teams. And, and uh, certainly Eagles and, and Sixers were the teams I was most passionate about. You know, for me to get a chance to be part of your hometown team is really special. You know, I live both in Philadelphia, um, you know, where my daughter is. And then you know, I spend some time in New York as well. So, you know, being part of uh, being part of, um, you know, the Sixers has been an incredible opportunity. I've learned a lot from it. I think I've added a little bit of value to it as well. And, um, you know, for me, it's also incredibly synergistic to our business. I mean, we have one of the most exciting companies in sports. You know, again, Fanatics is its probably, the you know, one of the fastest-growing companies or maybe the fastest-growing company in the sports industry of scale
0: and one that we're just getting started with. So um, the Sixers have improved since you bought them. You and your group bought the team, I think, in 2011. Yeah. And on the past two seasons, you made the playoffs. With any luck, you'll do that again this year. How have you helped the team turn around? What have yeah. you done? So I'd say Josh
1: Harris and Dave Blitzer... Uh, put together the deal and they're the managing partners. They bought the team in 2011. Uh, they were looking for partners that could add some value. I was a guy from Philadelphia grew up in the sports business, made a lot of sense for me to, you know, become their partner. You know, look, I think Josh and David, um, similar to me, I think everyone comes with a real long term perspective. I think Josh and David didn't want to be stuck in the middle. And so they said, how do we build a team to win for the long term? And so I think they made a lot of long-term decisions to really benefit the team. I think that's really uh, been paying off in the last couple of years. Now, at the end of the day, anyone who tells you anything differently, then you're in sports to win trophies. And if you don't win trophies, you're actually not succeeding. So until we actually win championships, we haven't done what we've set out to do. But that's what the organization's focused on. We've got a great GM in Elton Brand. Um, you know, we've got you know great ownership group. And you know, we're focused on doing one thing, which is winning championships.
0: I mean, did it does surprise you that you, I mean you really did go down to a very low point before you started to turn it around. Did that scare you and surprise you?
1: It it didn't at all. Uh, I'm a person who believes very much in thinking decades at a time. Mm -hmm. So when I think about my business, I'm not thinking about what to do this quarter or what to do this year. I'm thinking about fanatics and what are the chess moves I'm doing for 10 years from now, 20 years from now, to position ourselves to be one of the most successful companies in e-commerce in the world long term. And so when you do that, you have some dark days along the way, and sometimes people don't understand what you're doing. And it's no different in sports, and it's no different in whatever you do. You have to think long term, and you have to be able to accept some of the the near term pain that you get in making long term decisions. Look, I think everyone wishes they could have runs like the Warriors have had or the Patriots have had, um, and those are you know you know great organizations that we all respect, and certainly everyone knows how close I am with the Kraft family. Um, but You know, no one's been more successful than, you know, winning six Super Bowls and and been in 10 Super Bowls since they bought the team, you know, 24 years ago. But that's not normal. Uh, And so for us to have gone through some near-term pain to better position ourselves for the long term is the same thing that I've done with each of my companies.
0: Does the Sixers have, do they have enough to win right now? I mean, Barkley was calling you out a little bit the other day, right, saying no.
1: Yeah, look, I think we've got a really competitive team. I think we've got, um, I think we're we're a championship contender, and I think we won't be satisfied. I can tell you, um, you know, Josh and David and Elton and myself and anybody else, we won't be satisfied until we win championships.
0: And what about the Devils? How are things progressing there?
1: Yeah, I'm actually, it's interesting. I really. So the ownership group that Josh and David put together um, own both the Sixers and the Devils and Prudential Center together. I'm really, you know, my hockey knowledge is far less... Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think um, Josh and David are comfortable, we've got the right long-term strategy there. But um, I'm very um, mentally uh, committed and involved, both as a fan and as a part owner in the Sixers. And the Devils, I know less, and and I I won't be able to speak as as well as kind of where it's going. But I can tell you, I think everyone's confident that we've got the right, um, you know, kind of plan to be successful in the long term.
0: you have ambitions to own other teams, maybe an NFL team at some point? And would it be with the same group or out on your own? Or yeah, what do you think?
1: Yeah, so I think, look, it's no It's no secret that I was unsuccessful in trying to buy the Panthers uh, in the beginning of 2018. Um, I was, you know, I think the, the price that was paid for the team was a fair price. We just, you know, there was complexity in getting it done. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to done it. I think um, NFL's fortunate to get Dave Tapper as an owner. He's going to be a good owner. Um, you know, I think he's already adding value to the league. Uh, but sure, I think for the right opportunity, I'd like to do it. The good thing with me, to be blunt, is i wake up every morning and go to bed every night so excited about what i'm doing um you know fanatics is a company that's you know it's a 3.2 billion dollar startup it's growing incredibly quickly rule on guilt we just bought guilt a year ago that um merger is going really well we just partnered with simon the real estate group who who is now my 50 50 partner in that business and we're going to build this online outlet marketplace that i think we have incredible aspirations for Shopper owners doing really well and uh you know each of these businesses bring excitement and joy to my life every day um the Sixers have been a tremendous amount of fun for me and look well i had no desire to get involved with it what happened with my friend meek mill and what we're doing doing—we're starting the reform alliance and you know, we've raised more than 50 million dollars and i have the best founding partners but incredible organization to change probation and parole laws so i'm having a great time so it's a long-winded way of saying mm-hmm. if the right nfl opportunity comes up i would do it and be excited to do it and if it doesn't i'm completely content
0: like the redskins if they became available Look, Redskins is a great
1: team. Dan Slater a good friend of mine. Um, I, don't, I, I don't see him ever selling the team, mm-hmm. uh, but, it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great franchise and a great market and, and uh, one that um, you know, I think many people would love to
0: own. Okay. Let me ask you a little bit about um, going public, the IPO market. Uh, it seems the way you're talking that going public is not a priority. Here we are at the NASDAQ. But you know, you're talking about this long-term planning and the vision, and that is counter to a lot of forces in the public markets.
1: Yeah, so, so first I'll tell you, I, um, you know, we started Fanatics in 2002. I bought it back from eBay when they bought GSI Commerce in 2011. And so it's now been a private company for eight years. We've raised a billion seven from investors. Um, so, ultimately, we have a responsibility to our investors to get them a good outcome. And, you know, going public is probably the most likely longer-term plan. Mm-hmm. That said, um, there's so much for us to do, and it's so great to be a private company and be able to think longer-term. So, I think being public makes sense longer-term, but there's no rush in, from our sense to get public.
0: Let me switch back to sports a little bit, Michael, and ask you about politics and sports, which yeah. has been a really difficult area for people to sort of navigate. You know, we had Colin Kaepernick... The NBA sort of avoided a lot of that, but is there pressure on players to take a political stand and for owners as well? And how do you navigate that?
1: So I think there's no pressure on players to take a political stand, but I think certainly in the NBA, there's an encouragement of players to stand up for what they believe in. Um, and so I think that's a great thing. And I think uh, players have incredible platforms today that weren't available 10 years ago. When I think today, when I look at, you know, Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons' social media, and I look at LeBron James' social media, or I look at you know, Odell Beckham's social media. Look, They have this incredible platform. When they have a message they want to get out there, it's very easy for them to get it out there. And even myself, who's only been on Instagram for, you know, 18 months, I've got a good platform for getting out messages that are important to myself. And so I think, um, one, there's a platform to communicate what you want to communicate. And two, certainly in the NBA, there's an encouragement of players to speak out for things that are important to them. It's not speaking about something that's not important, important to you or something that you don't understand. It's if you have something you care about, then we have your back. Go out and speak on on, on, on on the issue. And so that's been the mentality of, I think, players in general, certainly in the NBA. Um, I'll tell you, um, from an ownership perspective, there's I think people have generally really shied away from it. And I get it because people, you know, get nervous about having politics and sports come together. For me, I had no choice. You, know, you had one of my closest friends who... Um, I watched get sent to prison for two to four years when he didn't commit a crime against the recommendation of the district attorney and probation officer said, no, this shouldn't happen. And the judge still sent him to jail for two to four years. So if this wasn't a close friend of mine, I would have never got involved, but because it was such a good friend of mine um, who I'd been living through this legal situation with him, you know, for, you know, leading up to, to this trial, you know, for me, I didn't get involved on behalf of the Sixers. I got involved as an individual who just said, I've got no choice. He's like a brother to me. I've got to help him because if I don't, he's going to sit, he's going to ride away in jail for two to four years. So, by the Sixers and the NBA got pulled into it and they were super supportive, which was great. Um, But um, I do think, you know, just I guess reflecting back now two years later, I will say honestly that as a part owner in the Sixers and as a, um, you know, a partner in sports or an owner in sports overall, I. I actually encourage other owners, if you have something you really believe in that you're truly passionate about, you should take a stand for it. But that doesn't but it's gotta be something that's really authentic. Like right. I didn't care about anything before it was like this was one of my really good friends. I, I had no choice.
0: What if the Sixers win the championship? Would you encourage them to go to the White House?
1: I would I would want the players to choose. Mm-hmm. I mean to me that's that, that, that's an individual choice. I think that's a that's a team choice. That's the what I would say. And first of all, it wouldn't be my choice. It would be, you know, certainly you know, I think um, First of all, again, Josh Harris and Dave Blitzer, they're the managing partners of the team. I think they'd weigh in with Alton Brand, the GM. But I think in general, if, if, if I owned a sports team, no matter what team it was, and someone asked me, hey, you won the championship, would you go to the White House? I'd say, hey, guys, you won the championship, you decide what you want to do, and I want to support the team to do whatever they want to do.
0: And finally, one last thing here. What about Daryl Morey? Was that okay what he did? Did the NBA respond correctly?
1: Yeah, so here, here's what I'd say to you. The one thing I've learned, and this is really important, People ask me questions about China all the time. I'm gonna be completely blunt with you. I don't understand the issues well enough to have an opinion, and here's what I can tell you. On criminal justice reform, I can tell you everything about it. I've learned so much in the Mm -hmm. past two years. i spent. I probably spent a third of the last two years between helping together with Jay-Z and Rock Nation to get Meek Mill out of prison for the first six months, and then the next 18 months about how to start the Reform Alliance, get all these partners involved, all of our focus on probation and parole reform, changing laws first in Pennsylvania that we're doing right now. So I consider myself to be pretty experienced in that area. I'll speak on something when I'm experienced. If I'm not experienced on something, I've got nothing to say. And so, and I, that, that's the case with everything, not just a hairy situation like China. So, I, you know, what I can tell you is, I won't speak on something if I don't get it. Right. And I don't understand that. I don't understand those issues well enough.
0: So what are you and Meek Mill doing right now exactly then? Yeah, so,
1: so when Meek was in prison, um, the first three months were completely focused on how do we get him out of prison. Once, uh, and by the way, Meek was sent to prison for four months, I'm sorry. Meek was sent to prison four different times for never committing a crime. This is a guy when he was 19 years old, was charged with pointing a gun at multiple police officers. And what Meek used to always say to me, he said it to me a hundred times, Michael, if I pointed a gun at multiple police officers, I wouldn't be here. That's called suicide. Their job would be to shoot me, okay? So I never pointed a gun at multiple police officers. He told me that a hundred times from when I first met him. Um, that said, after that original charge, he went to prison for about a year. There were four different times he went to prison when he never committed a crime. One time he used a water pistol in a music video and they said it was inappropriate to send him to jail for 90 days, mm. okay? Another time he popped a wheelie on a motorcycle and got sent to prison for two to four years, even though there were no charges in the case by the judge. And so, once it was proven and by the way the part i didn't tell you is that we hired many investigators the investigators went to the police who originally charged him and the first couple interviewed said oh no he never pointed the gun the whole thing's a lie signed an affidavit and he we still took another three months to get him out of prison after that mm-hmm. and so i realized that that this was not something that was isolated to me the system was fundamentally broken and so we're, originally we thought it was just a bad judge and we had to figure out how to you know Get Meek out of this situation with the bad judge. We realized the whole system was broken, and the bad judge was just a symptom of the right. broken system. And so, as soon as Meek got out, we said we're going to start this criminal justice organization. We raised over $50 million. Myself, Meek, Jay Z, Robert Kraft, Dan Loeb, Mike Novogratz, Robert Smith, um, John Clara Sy, uh, on jo, jo, uh, jo, and John Arnold, all names that I think you're probably very familiar with, committed over $50 million of our own money, and we're focused 100% on changing the probation and parole laws in each state to where they make sense. So the perfect example is that in Pennsylvania, there's no limits on how long you can be on probation. So Meek was on probation for 12 years. He had another six years left. So if Meek literally, um... Jaywalked. He, he right. literally looked the wrong way at somebody. Right which, by the way, it happened four different times, you get sent back to prison um, if you have an aggressive judge like he had. And so we're working on changing the laws so the judge couldn't do what they've done. And actually, people talk about how bad this judge is, and by the way, she was god-awful. But she's actually provided the inspiration to Meek and to me to start the Reform Alliance and to go change the laws that are gonna benefit millions of people directly and tens of millions of people indirectly. And this is, our criminal justice system is fundamentally, it couldn't be more broken. Um, it's an issue at a state-by-state basis. 90% of the people in prison and jail are on a state basis. We have five times the rate of incarceration of the rest of the world. And 25% pe- of the people that go to prison each year go for technical violations. They didn't commit a crime. I didn't believe right. you could go to prison when you didn't commit a crime. Right. You probably see my passion coming out right, right now on this issue, and that's why I'm comfortable to talk to you about it. You asked me about China, I'm like, I don't understand the right. issue, so I don't Got want it. to talk to you about it.
0: All right, so you're passionate about this. You're a wealthy guy putting your time and money to good use, but people like AOC and Bernie want to tax you and increase taxes and tax billionaires till they're not billionaires anymore. What do you think about that? I
1: think it would have the exact opposite effect of what you want to happen. And I'm not saying that because um, I'm a successful guy. I'm saying that because, to me, what makes America great is this is the true land for the entrepreneur. You can come here and you can build your business. And a guy like me, who, by the way, has almost gone bankrupt several times in my life, um, you, can, like, you can do anything in America. You have this great opportunity. And I love that it fosters innovation and entrepreneurialism. If you start saying to people, hey, I'm gonna take part of your company every year, because the, the, well, the way he and Elizabeth Warren have talked about this net worth taxes, I understand it is, if you're a private company, we're just gonna take shares in your company each year. So if you're saying, hey, it may take you 20 years to build a company, but we're going to take 3% of it or 5% every year. Mm. By the time you monetize your company, um, you might not own any shares of it anymore. So to me, I think the effect of having a net worth tax would take people that are starting companies and say, I'm not going to start them in America. I'm going to go somewhere else because it's such a negative impact. What I do think has to happen is I was someone who always helped other um, I, people came to me always, you know, hey, Michael, I need help with this. And I help hundreds of organizations each year, but I wasn't truly passionate about it. Then something happened to a good friend of mine. I became incredibly passionate about criminal justice reform. I think there does need to be pressure on people that win in business to give back um, to the community, not just in money, because giving money is easy if you have it, but giving your time. Right. I'm probably spending a quarter to a third of my time on criminal justice reform because I've become that passionate about it. And I can tell you that a little bit of money and some good energy, I think we can get great results on criminal justice reform. So if entrepreneurs and really wealthy people uh, put both their money and their time into fixing issues, I think we'd have much better results than if the government tried to fix the same issues. But I'm definitely um, very negative on the aspect of what would happen if there was a net worth tax, because I think what would happen is people won't start businesses here anymore. I wouldn't. If If someone came to me and said, hey, I'm going to start a brand new company as a private company. I'm going to have to give a percentage of that private company away every year. And I may not monetize it by the time I've lost all of my shares. Why would you do it here? You do it in a different place. All
0: right, we're going to leave it there. Michael Rubin, thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Sherwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Surwork.